This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the twice-weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thanks so much for tuning in, and as ever, we've got one heck of a lot to cram in during our time together. If it's okay with all of you, I'd like to reflect a bit on that interesting, illuminating ballot of the nurses on the pay deal that their union, the RCN, recommended that they accept it, and a majority rejected it. I think it has wider implications about the state that we are in. And although I will, as ever, sound calm, just remember, health warning, it's an act. I'm uh, cross about the state that we're in. I can't remember a time when we have been in such a state. So I'll do that, and then we will go to your brilliant uh, questions, uh, even more brilliant than ever, actually. There's something about that Labour ad that triggered a range of different takes and reflections. Won't have time to read them all out, um, but they have wider implications about the art of leadership, the art of projection as an election draws nearer. So we will uh, return to your questions. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Now, yeah, this is a big one. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, for those of you who kindly subscribe to Patreon, uh, are another bonus in uh, May, which is days away, uh, we're going to do, for Patreon subscribers, a live webinar. There will be a link in Patreon. You can click it and join in. And it will be Wednesday, May the 3rd at 7 o'clock. So all of us lot on Rock and Roll Politics, the Patreon version, can come together. Uh, There will be themes to explore. But crucially, we can exchange questions, ideas, uh, and, and kind of envision which will be exciting because I feel I know you all anyway and now I'll be able to see you and we can have a a wider conversation. So that'll be Wednesday, May the 3rd at 7. Sorry, those of you who feel excluded from this would do sign up um, and we will uh, all get together to make sense of it all then. And before then, on Monday, it's next week, uh, Monday, April the 24th, uh, Rock and Roll Politics is live at the Old Market Theatre in, well, it's in Hove. Uh, I've said Brighton, but Brighton and Hove and the whole of the South Coast should gather um, to make sense of it all on that night. It will obviously reflect the show, what's happening at the time, but I think we will delve deep into the nature of Keir Starmer and his leadership. He's a very unusual leader. It's not boring. That's the wrong sweeping kind of uh, caricature that forms over every leading figure in British politics. Uh, But he is unusual. And there is a vulnerability there, I think, that needs addressing. Anyway, uh, in a light-hearted way, we'll look at that and many other things. There's a lovely bar. So do join us and make sense of it all. You'll get tickets via the Old Market Theatre or via the blurb for this podcast. 
So we'll address the ad and its wider implications, that Labour ad and its wider implications shortly. But first of all, I think this is an astonishing moment in the history of the NHS and in the history of industrial disputes, really. Uh, First of all, we had the extraordinary, unprecedented decision by nurses to strike. Hadn't happened before. But the sequence that has followed that is more extraordinary because uh, the government moved. It initially said it wouldn't. And the RCN, who has been taking quite a hard line uh, in its negotiations, recommended that the revised government deal, and Sunak was very reluctant to move, but he recognised he had to do something for the nurses because they, amongst all the various strikers, were getting the biggest amount of popular support, so they moved. And the RCN leadership recommended that those nurses who were going to take part in the ballot should back it. And other unions have indeed backed that pay deal, but the nurses rejected it. Here is a group not used to striking, not used to even contemplating striking, rejecting the recommendation of their leadership and opting to reject the revised improved pay deal. And this is not a great sort of political act, but it's an act of desperation about the state we are in because, I mean, some of you will be nurses, some of you will know nurses, uh, and the few I know who I've spoken to about this say they are doing it because they simply cannot afford to keep going with their current pay arrangements or with this revised offer. And this is why what is going on has these wider implications, shines a light on the state we are in. They, I think, are doing this partly because in certain parts of the country, certainly London, but other cities too, housing is insanely expensive in this country. And one of the key reasons for this is the uh, shortage of affordable rented accommodation. And this is where, as I say, it has wider implications about the state we are in. It is partly the cost of housing. And this really has been an issue since Margaret Thatcher famously sold off council housing and didn't replace affordable rented housing. Even in the 1970s, when the country was at another cliff's edge in a very different way to the current cliff's edge, but it was there hundreds of thousands of uh, affordable social rented housing were built. Uh, Famously in the 50s, Harold Macmillan became famous as a minister for housing, building hundreds of thousands of affordable rented homes and the 45 Labour government similarly. But since those uh, much lauded sell-off of council housing to that wild private sector where properties can soar and sometimes not soar, like now, there has been this shortage because Margaret Thatcher was good at the glamorous bit. We are giving people their homes, property-owning democracy, but much worse at the hard grind of facing the consequence of that. What do you do to replace those homes going off the affordable rented market. Uh, 
and that has been a constant since. So you now have nurses living in London facing the prospect of astronomical rent, and they can't afford it. And that is one of the reasons that in some parts of the country you get a shortage of key workers, as they、uh, were described during the pandemic, when we all clapped. Clapping doesn't cost anything. And so that's one issue. Another is transport. Public transport is astronomical in London, but as the mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, never loses a chance to point out. I think big fan of Andy Burnham's in his new、uh, role as Lon-、uh, London Greater Manchester mayor.、Um, but he often tweets, you know, why can't we have what they have in London? And so, well, Andy. As you know, it's astronomical in London, but it is worse in some of these other areas. To、uh, get a bus, if you're lucky enough to get it, let alone a train, you are spending, and you're lucky to catch the train in some parts of the country.、Uh, you are spending a substantial amount of money. So when you add up the fact that our transport is、uh, dysfunctional and expensive, and there's a shortage of affordable housing, and that those places that are available astronomical, you have a situation where even with this revised pay deal, some of these nurses cannot cope, and that's why they're voting in this way. They're not doing it for any other reason.、Um, now, some in some areas they probably can. And the, the, it was quite close, and other unions have voted to accept the deal. So maybe there will, in the end, be a climb down. But I think that moment was interesting. And I also speak, and some of you will know much more about this than me. But anecdotally, there is a sense that they are working in a、uh, fragmented, understaffed NHS. Where there isn't that great sense of、uh, collective belonging, because they come in, they find that you know the 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 the, the rotor isn't fully functioning because there is a chronic shortage of nurses, arising partly from、uh, the insane Brexit negotiated by Johnson and Frosty Frost, and、uh, and other factors too, including of course the. The cost of living in some parts of the country, so they go in,、uh, hailed as heroes during the pandemic and so on, and they find sometimes they have to do the work of two or three because there are shortages, and they are part of this fragmented NHS where a sense of belonging is harder to develop、uh, because what are you belonging? To what part of this fragmented institution are you part of? There is this sense that right, no, we're not going to do this pay deal.、Uh, we we will strike again. That builds from a dysfunctional NHS and a dysfunctional wider public delivery of services, and this is just a little vignette. That decision. In that ballot, that shines quite a lot of light on the dysfunctionality of the United Kingdom, which is why the debate, the political debate, seems so puny in comparison. We have Rishi Sunak. All the talk is suddenly, oh, you know, he's got a grip of things, and on some levels, he has compared to his two prime ministerial predecessors. But that is such a low bar; it shouldn't really even be part of the conversation. 
he is presiding still over this dysfunctional uh, country and um, needs to be judged accordingly. And I think it is hard for him to recognise the scale of the challenges facing well-intentioned nurses, say, to focus in on this example. When you represent a constituency, Richmond in North Yorkshire, which is pretty affluent, and you yourself are almost absurdly affluent, it just becomes harder to make the empathic leap to, say, a nurse working in North London, where property is expensive, where getting a tube is expensive. The underground is all completely uh, unbalanced in London with uh, people over 60 going for nothing uh, when they, most, a lot of them got tons of money. And these kind of nurses in their 20s and 30s laying out a fortune. Um, it's just harder to do in that situation. It was like Cameron and Osborne implementing their austerity package in 2010 uh, representing affluent seats and themselves wealthy uh, it's harder to make that empathic leap but so it is proving to be for Labour too for different reasons uh, they are scared because I've got to repeat it again they are becoming trapped by their fear of the tax and spend debate they are right to be fearful but they have got to find a way around it of saying anything of any significance so while you have people even on that ridiculous bbc one question time speaking with authentic fury about the state we're in uh, you don't get that from the labor leadership in the same way and you have as a result kind of mild-mannered columnists like Martin Wolf in the Financial Times writing at the beginning of this week that Britain is in a terrible plight and economic growth is part of the way out of this plight. Why aren't we hearing anything across the political spectrum about how you do that credibly? Of course, both parties say one of their goals is economic growth. That's the easy bit, the means. Why isn't there is an urgency about it? And for the opposition, a kind of intense, passionate anger about the place we are in now. I think we're going to get a lot of this. Uh, individual developments that shine a much whiter light on the mood of people. Remember the 80s when uh, the NHS was gradually run down? Um, it was hard to conceive of the nurses striking then. And the 90s, it was still in a terrible way. It began to improve hugely after in Labour's second term when they finally recognised uh, that money had to be invested in it. But it is also about structural issues too who is responsible for what and to whom within that organisation. Uh, it's called reform, but quite often when people talk about reform, they mean fragmentation. That's why that term, reform, is not in itself enlightening. What kind of reform? Yeah, it touches so many issues. As I say, I don't know in the end whether the strikes will happen or whether the government will cling to those uh, unions who have backed the pay rise and busk it accordingly. I'm picking up that is their intention, not to revise the pay offer. And obviously the RCN leadership are somewhat cowed, having 
recommended it. But that does mean they can't put it, the same deal to the ballot again. So they will have to try and get a better one, and there probably won't be one. So, uh, yeah, what a mess. I say, if I sound calm, it's I'm not. You know, it, it, this country is in a, as Martin Wolf, the mild-mannered Martin Wolf says, it's in a terrible plight at the moment. Which brings us to all of you and the brilliant questions you have uh, been given because, you know, this is a big moment. The build-up to an election after four terms of one-party rule. This is a time when an opposition needs to think big and analyse why we are in the state we are in and then open the door to solutions having one consent for that analysis. Instead, last week, we got that ad uh, basically saying Sunak is sympathetic or tolerant of paedophiles and rapists not being punished. Um, And it triggered a lot of reflections from all of you. Before we come to them, and I say this is wider implications because, you know, uh, things move fast in politics and um, the ad has been and gone. And although I think the consequences one of our favourite words in the Rock and Roll Politics Cooperative, are still being played out. Um, Keir Starmer has been hammered inevitably by the Tory-supporting columnists. He's not going to woo them, even though his media team try all the time. Um, But also from non-Tory columnists following that um, uh, ad. A lot of talk about the need for him to raise his game and, and so on. So there have been consequences... And it certainly hasn't propelled Labour into a bigger poll lead. But anyway, just a reminder before I come to all of you or some of you, if you want to join our never-ending conversation, uh, it's steverick14 at iCloud.com. steverick14 at iCloud.com. Okay, over to some of you now. Martin Kinston writes with an idea of an alternative uh, projection for Labour. Rather than the stupid attack on Sunak, read the rapist, here's my suggestion for a Labour political attack ad. Copy exactly the Tories ad from 1979, Labour isn't working. Substituting Tory and then list all the system systemic failures, collapse of the rail system, collapse of the water utilities, lowest growth rate in Europe, highest inflation. Uh, Martin adds Spain is currently 3.5 percent. Yeah, God. I, and spot the difference. Which one has left the European Union? Collapse of the NHS, etc., etc. Uh, keep it simple and flood the UK with this picture. Yeah, now I think uh, uh, it's a good idea. I mean, there, uh, it doesn't matter actually lifting an idea if you do it with absolute passion. The 79 Tory one was very interesting. It, in a way, ushered in a modern era of advertising. Of course, the famous uh, Saatchi and Saatchi ad with a long doll queue and Labour isn't working was interesting on lots of levels. It gave uh, Thatcher and her team space to really go for Labour, although she privately, of course, had plans for a monetarist policy that was going to increase unemployment. But it gave the space for an onslaught on every front 
that that Labour government wasn't working. And this is what Labour has to do if it wants to sustain that poll lead that it got via the Liz Truss and Boris Johnson antics of last summer, early autumn. And it is exactly as Martin suggests, whether it's Labour is uh, that the Tories Tories aren't working or some equivalent. It needs to be a big overriding thought linked to all the examples of things that aren't working. It also has the benefit of being truthful, whereas the Sunak is easy about rapists wandering around just isn't true. Um, and, uh, I, and, and that gets to the essence of how serious things have gone wrong here. Um, and then it opens the door to bigger solutions than, oh, we're going to raise the non-DOM tax and that will pay for everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's the way to go. Absolutely grab and own the idea that after 13 or 14 years it's not working and, and pound away at it with examples. Thank you, uh, Martin. We now move on, oh yeah, to Eleanor Lovegrove, who says, um, I absolutely love the podcast. Oh, thank you. And I'm looking forward to another rock and roll politics at King's Place again soon. Oh yeah, thank you. There is one. Monday, May the 15th. The local elections will have happened and who knows where we will be then. It will be interesting to see whether the polls are broadly in place with how people actually vote then and consequences that are going to be reshuffles uh, after that election and so on so we need to get together for that as well may the 15th anyway on to the point i've long been as struck and perplexed by you at england taking every possible chance to vote conservative driving through the tory heartland of kemi badnock's saffron warden constituency i discovered that we're not alone in this assessment standing out among all the vote conservative banners lining the lanes of the leafy villages was this one below and uh, uh yeah ellen has taken a photo of this huge uh, banner saying please stop voting Tory cheers I was so cheered by this that I had to pull over and take the picture if Labour get cold feet about the Rishi Sunak attack ads maybe this might be a route to try yeah just sheer pleading it is there is definitely a much much higher tolerance of uh, conservatives amongst a lot of voters in England um, I've got absolutely no doubt if the last few years have been a Labour government a Tory landslide would be imminent uh, at the next election, whoever was the Tory leader and uh, whatever the state of the Tory party. The, the Labour party you know, but, but there is in England, oh, yeah, the, the, the Rishi's doing rather well, let's yeah, it's, it's stay with them rather than risk those dodgy other side. But anyway, that's one way of uh, <laughs> please stop voting Tory. Anyway, thank you uh, very much, Alan. I hopefully see you at uh, King's Place on May the 15th. Joel Rawlings, I was listening to last week's podcast. This was where I was reflecting a bit on the uh, imp wider implications of that uh, Labour ad attack. Uh, I was listening while stuck in a queue for the Blackwall Tunnel. Blimey, job, but he had hours to listen. Uh, another example of dysfunctional England. Try getting south through that Blackwall Tunnel. Friends of ours had a two-hour wait, either at going and then coming back four hours in total could have got to Cornwall almost except for that's often blocked 
Joel says, it was interesting to hear your thoughts on Labour tax ads, uh, which were much more balanced than I had heard elsewhere. Oh, thank you very much. The po- uh, if balance is a positive thing, it, 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 it can be. Well, nuance is what I like. Balance implies, on the one hand, this, and on the other, that, which can be as big a distortion as a polemical podcast. Uh, but nuance is good. Anyway, the podcast got me thinking about possible attack lines regarding Brexit. Perhaps less so for Labour, given their stance, but maybe for the Lib Dems. Lib Dems have got to get into this argument if they want to have a voice at the moment. Uh, In particular, I thought back to something Michael Gove said about Scottish independence in 2014. Gove said, think globally. Think what would happen if Scotland and England broke up. Do we think that Putin in the Kremlin would think, oh, that's a pity? Or do we think he would say, ah, look, the second principal beacon of liberty in the world is a little more unstable? that plinth has been broken i'm in a stronger position to do what i want yeah it's interesting joel that um those who wanted brexit uh, passionately back the union um except for the smp of course who um were pro remain passionately with good arguments from nicola sturgeon but want the breakup of the uk and yeah the, the, there is something to explore there i think um the confusion of the leading Brexiteers on many different levels. Cathy Mears writes, a friend referred me to a disturbing article in the FT in which the key proposition was this, at the next election Labour will attempt to be the Conservatives while the actual Tories are portrayed or will portray themselves as UKIP. I suggest, uh, yeah, okay, well, Cathy, yeah, the issue of the centre ground, where is the centre ground? (laughs) If Labour are pitching to the right, they're not. It would be wrong to say the Labour pitch, as currently constituted, is is one that the Conservatives would be uh, happy with. But it is desperately cautious, without defining arguments about what has gone wrong and what needs to happen to put it Right. As for the Tory party, again, I think it's it's too sweeping to say they will be UKIP, but they you can see it already. They will pull certain levers, the culture wars. They will they will play a version of Brexit and about what you know, all sorts of things will go on. I think it's going to be quite a dirty election because the Tories will be desperate if the poll lead Labour has remains roughly in place, and Labour are so insecure and not entirely sure what they are about. And that, as we've seen with those silly ads, can lead to all kinds of things. Yeah, Nick Jones wonders, you and others must know the advisers who persuaded Starmer this was a good idea, the the ads, but they're never named, yet alone questioned. It would be fascinating for someone to answer the points you uh, made, I made about the ads. Well, yeah, I know some listened to the podcast at that kind of level. Similarly, I would love to hear a no-holds-barred interview with a leader writer from the Mail justifying how they can endorse specific untruths or policies. Uh, yeah, well, good luck with that. You're not going to get that, Nick. Um, in terms of the people behind the scenes, I, mean, I haven't uh, followed closely who was responsible for the ads, but it, 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 others have. Um, uh, but uh, And some have spoken strongly in favour of them in the uh, shadow cabinet. Um, I know some in the shadow cabinet who were put out on the media privately thought they were a disaster but had to defend them but one or two passionately did 
believe in them and were involved in their sort of construction. And then you have people who are running campaigns like Morgan McSweeney and others, um, who uh, Starmer has so far anyway uh, kind of revered. You are right that hidden dynamics are in place, but in politics, actually, on the whole, the hidden dynamics do emerge. Um, football is far more closed. No one knows what goes on at these big football clubs. In politics, I think some of the hidden dynamics you will get, Nick. Now, next one, Jonathan Marcus. Uh, uh, yeah, he and I used to be colleagues together at the BBC and um, talked animatedly. It must have been, when, when was this, Jonathan? Early 90s, maybe late 80s. Much enjoying your analysis. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, and he is deeply concerned about the superficiality of Labour's media machine and its inability to grasp a simple theme. Britain is literally crying for a change. Um, yeah, I think there is a superficiality about the media strategy at um, the moment. Yeah, he was wondering about Scotland and whether that changes the nature of um, the uh, debate in terms of the electoral framework. Is the SNP crisis potentially a boost for Labour? The answer to that is unequivocally yes, Jonathan. And what are the chances of them actually being able to capitalise on it? I would say quite high. Uh, When you have a governing uh, party in Scotland, and they've been there a long time, in a crisis of this extraordinary nature, um, yeah, I think there is scope for Labour to capitalise on it. Uh, Jonathan also suggests for our series on Patreon of troublemakers, Robin Cook. Yeah, good idea actually. He was he was half a troublemaker. Uh, he tried to conform as much as he could. But that's a good idea. Now, Venetia Kane was also worked up about the ads, but she said I she guessed I would be doing something on it. Anyway, she says, what a stupid subject to go on. It leaves them open to the charge of not understanding the independence of the judiciary. And Starmer vulnerable as a former head of the CPS and ignores the fact that no reasonable people would want all sex offenders against children to go to jail. I'm thinking particularly of 17-year-olds with 15-year-old girlfriends or boyfriends. It was just plain stupid, uh, quite apart from very distasteful. I think what is um, particularly concerning Again, there are wider implications, um, which is why when things like this are done, there clearly isn't an in-depth conversation within Kistama's office or Labour HQ about possible consequences and whether they are fully uh, explosion-proof when they embark on something like this. I said this before but it's one of the things that a lot of what they are doing is too imitative of new labor in uh, the build-up to 97 one thing tony blair did in the build-up to 97 was brilliant and necessary he would go away sometimes analyze what labor was saying what policies they were proposing and try and see if there were any flaws any inconsistencies any contradictions and to quote him to me, bomb-proof those policies. If it meant changes, so be it. Um, he was aware of what might happen in the scrutiny of the build-up to an election, and he bomb-proofed them. Those ads were not bomb-proofed. Ian Jones, 
the process of leaders being elected by the wider membership of their parties is one of the factors in British politics becoming more presidential. Now, like a US president, the British party leader goes through a sort of primary election with similar consequences. In order to win the leadership, they make promises to gather the support of members across the party who hold opinions that are more radical than the ordinary electorate. Hence Starmer, making his pledges to have significant continuity with the Corbyn agenda. Once elected, they turn to the business of winning an election, which involves moderating and repackaging what they have previously promised. Yeah, it's a good point, actually. We are in a presidential culture, but a party-based system. Therefore, leaders are scrutinised. What I think it involves, uh, Ian, is um, while those systems are in place, you can either do a Sunak, where you argue against the party membership, but still win when the victorious candidate who argued with the party membership implodes, or you become an artist. And yes, you woo the local party membership, but you move to the wider electorate um, without appearing to do screeching U-turns, and therefore you frame your language very carefully in both situations, so it doesn't look so crude and untrustworthy as saying one thing to win in one particular place, and the virtually the exact opposite a couple of years later. Jeff Strange, who's having a drink in West Cork. Will the big beasts of politics with big conviction ever return to the wild plains of SW1, again in the context of the ads and some of the kind of more mediocre politics we've been having recently? Um, Yeah, it's true there were bigger beasts in the past. It's not some subjective, nostalgic thing from Jeff having one too many whiskies in West Cork. Um, There were bigger beasts, um, and we do need uh, a return uh, of such people. Um, It's quite hard. See, the two big parties, uh, let alone the smaller ones, are pretty dysfunctional. You know, the the memberships are not representative. Uh, The criteria for choosing candidates to be MPs can be very narrow. Um... Uh, but we do want those big beasts back. And honestly, there aren't that many at the moment. We should could do a list. Someone do a list, please, from the cooperative of those they consider to be big beasts at the moment. Uh, Jason Bond worries with some cause for the first time the Labour Party isn't a broad church party. It's now uh, a single policy agenda party. And if you disagree, to quote here, Starmer, you know where the door is. This is a line currently being crossed that I don't think has been crossed before in the Labour Party. Broad church parties are crucial in winning in first-past-the-post systems, and I worry that Labour won't win without that approach. Yeah, it is interesting that Kisama's original instinct was to cite Wilson, who did manage a broad church, um, but he's now moved uh, from as others have implied the sort of Corbynista agenda of his leadership contest to uh, speaking out largely on behalf of the right of the Labour Party. And actually there is a kind of way of managing that appears 
dynamic, exciting, purposeful, but you keep kind of the both sides together. And while you've got first past the post, you have to have these broad churches. The bigger parties are coalitions in themselves. And what has been dysfunctional for Labour recently is not at first under Corbyn, actually. He did try and appoint a broad church shadow cabinet. People have forgotten this about him. He tried to get all his other leadership candidates into the shadow cabinet. Most of them refused. He let Hillary Benn be shadow foreign secretary and speak against his, Corbyn's, view on Syria. But after the battles began and intensified, you got a kind of Corbynista shadow cabinet, uh, which was not a broad church. And then, and uh, now you've got one, whereas uh, you say, Jason, you know, uh, Keir Starmer said, if you don't like it, you know where the door is. And Keir Starmer, if he wins, is going to get many, many pressures uh, from the right, not just the Labour right, but the media and all the rest of it. And having a broad church, sometimes he would find beneficial, uh, actually, having pressures from elsewhere within this complex mix. And Alison Keyes, I don't uh, disagree that Labour has as much right to do attack ads as the Tories, but as a relatively engaged member of the public, this has felt jarring, out of place and very much like a mistake. Uh, Yeah, well, I agree. And I I also agree Labour has every right to play hard. Uh, And if it doesn't, um, it will get rolled over by the newspapers as much as the Tory attack machine, which I think will be vicious in itself, but probably nothing compared with the Mail, the Sun, the Telegraph, the Times, as the election draws nearer. So they've got to be tough, and, and, and they have every right to be. But they've got to get it right. And I think, you know, in the cooperative, we have moved uh, in our time together today towards uh, an argument that they can project about um, nothing working and giving examples in attack ad after attack ad and then saying what they're going to do about it. But I think the nervousness is what they're going to do about it is kind of new Labour incrementalism, mid-1990s. There was an interesting uh, comment by David Miliband I heard the other day in which he said that um, uh, new Labour now would be well to the left of new Labour in the mid-1990s because the scale of the challenges are so much greater. Um, But in trying to copy new Labour of the mid-1990s, in some respects, we mustn't forget the ambition of some policies already announced. But in this, on the whole, cautious incrementalism, tiny policies to symbolise a greater ambition, um, they're, they're, they're kind of in danger of being unable to do the big analysis of what's wrong because the policies are so small and incremental that they propose to highlight in a campaign as if this was kind of 97, which it isn't. Anyway, uh, yeah, God, it's, it, I tell you, being a leader is tough, tough, tough. I've watched so many so closely. And there are ways through and fertile routes towards election victory, but few Labour leaders have managed to navigate it in this country. Um, it is it is, it is, is really challenging. Um, but we're here to uh, analyse, make sense, advise, and um, we must get together again very soon to make sense of it all. Thanks so much. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've got lots of emails. I haven't read them out about the interview with Rory 
Carroll on his extraordinary book about the attempt to assassinate Margaret Thatcher by the IRA in the mid-1980s. But I thought we would have a theme today in our time together um, about it not working, beginning with the nurse's ballot, which remains in a way sort of understated, I think. Just think of those nurses. Do we accept it? We would get a hit, a one-off bonus, quite tempting and all the rest of it. But a lot of them just can't afford it. And that's because not just the level of their pay, but other factors. Anyway, hope that's all cheered you up. Get making the bread, get running, drinking the wine and whiskey and what have you and uh, let's get together soon so I hope to see some of you at the Old Market Theatre where we will have a drink or two as we make sense of it all thanks so much, bye bye